Welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. We are glad you are taking advantage of this resource. If you would like to find out more information about our church or connect with us, go to cornerstonebv.org. You can also check us out on our Facebook page, at CornerstoneBV. We hope that the message today impacts your life and draws you closer in your walk with Christ. Amen. All right. Amen. May have a seat. How are we doing this morning? Good. All right. Um, I don't know. You know, I know we're in church, so we, we put smiles on our faces. And some of you mean those smiles, I think. Um, but my guess is, just after having done this pastoring thing for a while, there's at least a few in the room that feel like this. A dry sponge. Right, feel that dryness. Maybe you're not really sure about what you feel about towards the things of God, you know, and you're, you're here because you're dry towards the things of, uh, of your life, but you're not really sure. Or, or even if you profess Christ, like we have these periods, even these uh, pieces of our life, like you know you're supposed to pray more, but you don't. You know, I'm supposed to be reading my Bible, but you can't have the motivation to do it. Or I, I, um, I know I'm supposed to serve, or I'm supposed to do this, but I just feel dry. Right, some of you maybe. Jamie, that's not even that sponge. I'm like the sponge, you know, you used for a little bit and then forgot about, put it under the sink, find it three months later. I almost brought one in for my house, but you didn't want to see that. Trust me. It's gross, right? But just crusty and just, some of you probably feel like that. Here's what I want to do, because we're in, in our series in Acts, we're in uh, the, the, probably one of the, outside of Jesus' most famous sermon ever of Peter. And it's like, how do you preach a sermon on a sermon? You know, and, and what I want us to be able to do is regardless where you're at, whether you've, you're kind of new to this whole thing or you've been a, a professing Christian for years, I want you to take yourself and let this, you know, this beautiful good news, this gospel that Peter preaches, listening now he does, and just saturate, you knew this was common, classic water, right? Saturate yourself because sometimes we feel like we need to do it. I need to make things right. I need to get better, right? Instead, you just need to let the gospel fill you again. Every day, that's what we say, preach to yourself every day. Because if you're going to have a gospel-centered marriage, if you're going to have you know, parenting or workplace or whatever else, you've got to let yourself be saturated by this good news. And so wherever you're at, however mature you might be in Christ, you never, ever should stop letting this gospel saturate you, okay? So let's, before we go to that, let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, you know greater than I what's going on in this room or those joining us online in our hearts where those dry places are, those places where we feel weakness, those places where we just feel like giving up. And so I pray for just you to sustain and for you to um, refresh us in the good news of Christ that we would never, ever take our eyes off you. Lord, I pray that your word would be like Psalm 19, would be honey dripping from the honeycomb, that we would taste and see that you are good. I can't do that with smooth-sounding words, your spirit to fill this room. We know you're present with us. We're in awe of, and, of you, and, and we give this time of singing and rejoicing and praying and, and your word. We pray that it would just be it would move us closer to you. We pray for our kids and the kids' uh, leaders downstairs. Just bless them with wisdom. We want to, they're going over the same message as we are up here because you're the same God. And it's in Jesus' name. All God's people said? Amen. Amen. All right, so we, uh, if you, we'll put it on the screen, but if um, you want to follow along in your own Bible, uh, it's Acts where we left off exactly last week. Um, 
you'll kind of get that as we go through Acts. That's what we do. Whatever we left off, we'll pick it up in the next verse. So it's Acts chapter 2, verse 22, right? Kind of, well, not in the middle, towards the beginning of this sermon. But remember, uh, uh, Luke wrote Acts, and it's a continuation of the first book, which he wrote was called Luke. Isn't that good? You guys are smart. And, and so Acts continues that journey, how the church, you know, we're going to see the mission, same mission we have. And if you remember, Jesus, uh, he gives them that mission. Take this gospel, right, to Jerusalem, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth, right? The, but wait in Jerusalem. I'm going to fill you with the Spirit to be able to do this. And, 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 and he says, uh, and then and, and he's done. And he, he ascends to, in, into glory. And they're looking up. Remember that scene? They're just like waiting for him to come back. And the angels were like, yo, get to work. He will come back, just not yet. In the meantime, get to work. And so the Spirit, for we saw last weekend, the Spirit in Acts 2 fill them. They're in Jerusalem, right, and they're praying. Fills them. They come out, and they're telling thousands of people are in Jerusalem there for the feast uh, of first fruits. And, and they're, they're like, what is going on? They're telling of all these glories and wonders and works of God, but they're hearing them in their own language. And they're like, how can this be? And Peter's like, well, I'm glad you asked. And he begins to preach. And we saw last week just that first portion where he said this was foretold by the prophet Joel, that in the latter days the coming of the Spirit would fill us. And so that leads him into where, just like all of these sermons lead, talking about Jesus. Right? He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. He starts that way. He says, you know this. You saw it or you know people you trust saw it. He was three years doing this, telling deaf people to hear, telling blind people to see, telling crippled people to walk, telling dead people to not be dead anymore. You've seen it. You know all the ridiculousness of, oh, he's of Satan, casting out demons. Get right. Oh, he's a sorcerer or a wizard. You knew it wasn't true. You knew he was the one we were waiting for, right? He showed us that. And he leads into this. Talk about boldness, right? Watch what Peter says to this uh, thousands of people that are gathered, right? He says, he says, this Jesus, who's from God, right? This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. The lawless men would have been the Romans or outside the Mosaic law. So we know the Pontius Pilate, we know the Roman soldiers killed Jesus, but he's saying, that, I mean, hey, in seminary they teach you, hey, hey, start with like, you know, sponges or stuff like that, you know? Get people kind of engaged before. Peter didn't do any of that, man. He just stood up and he said, hey, this, this Messiah, this Christ, y'all killed him. He's looking to get himself killed, isn't he? This is just weeks from the events of the cross. Right? Because Peter's filled with the Spirit. He starts with, you all committed the greatest of atrocities. Right? You are part of the condemning of this Messiah, this one we were waiting for. You put him on that cross. You have to be filled with the Spirit to start a sermon that way. But he does. But he says, he, 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 he continues though. He's, but Oh, before. But like, notice what he first says. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. I love that. You killed him, but it wasn't outside of God's plan. It's still on your record. It's still your fault. You still sinned. That's a great crime. And yet, God used the greatest atrocity in his plan to save you. Isn't that awesome? The sovereignty of God to take what was meant to be the greatest evil, torture and kill God's own anointed uh, son, 
And yet in that, God foreknowing that weaves it into his plan to actually save those who are killing him. You ever think your sin's too great? You think your affair or your, the thing that you did uh, that you just can't get over is too great? I mean, they killed Jesus, and yet they can be saved. Are you outside of that grace? No. No, you're not outside the love of God either. You're not. That's the beauty of this, this gospel. That's why you have to preach it to yourself every single day, whatever it was. And, you know, this, this death, even though they meant to torture and kill him, it was him willingly taking our place. Like, we love that. Like, like that was him saying, Jamie, I'm taking all of your sin. Fill in your name, all of it. I'm dying for it so you don't have to. I'm paying for it so you don't have to. Right? And, and here's the, the, the beauty. I could stand up here and be like, you know what, and I wouldn't, by the way, but let's just say I'm a way better person than I really am. And I, and I look at you guys and say, you know what, you need salvation. I'm going to get on a cross. I'm going to be crucified. I announce to the world, I'm dying for you. I would die on that cross, you'd bury me in a grave, and I'd stay dead. Because I, even if I wanted to save you, I can't. Jesus is the only one that not only wanted to save, but had the ability to save because he was sinless. So Peter's saying, you did this, you sinned, but hey, there's hope. God always had a plan in place, even using your sin to save you. Because that's how awesome God is. Because he continues. Because it didn't stay, he didn't stay dead. He said, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And scholars were puzzled over that word, uh, especially that word, um, pangs. They're like, it's a weird placement. I don't think it is. Because it's a Greek word that typically is talking about childbirth. All right, so if you uh, have delivered, a, you've had a child or, or known someone who, who has, like, you have these pangs. We call them contractions, right? And they get worse and worse, or so I was told by my wife, right? Um, and, and, and until baby comes. Imagine, though, when you're delivering the baby or, or say, or you're, you're having the baby or say the, the, your wife or whoever is having the baby and, and you're, the contractions, the birth pangs are coming and they're coming and they're coming and you're like, you know what? I'm not ready. I'm going to have the baby simmer in the womb for a little bit longer. I know not, no, no moms would say that, but maybe some of the dads, like, I don't want to be a father yet, right? I was driving to church here today, and I saw a, a dad, uh, I'm pretty sure it was a dad, because he had a baby in one of those things, you know, that, one of those kangaroo pouch things, and he was just walking like this. It was like 8 in the morning, and I saw him get to a telephone pole, and he looks at this little tag, and he starts reading it, and I'm like, this guy, man, he's like, what have I done, right? And, and that's how we feel sometimes. So, so imagine you, you're, you're delivering the baby, and you're like, nope, nope. What would the doctor say? Uh, hate to break the news to you, but you can't wait. That baby's coming whether you like it or not. And that is what Peter's saying about the grave. Jesus was put in this grave, and death was like, you're, you're mine. You're mine, like everyone else. You're mine, and yet, like we just sang, death could not hold him. Like a baby coming, he was coming out because of the power of God and the power of the resurrection. He conquered the grave. Paul says he's the firstborn of, of that new life. So because he did that, if you trust in him, the grave won't be able to hold you either. Just like birth banks, I'm going to hold Jamie. No, no, no. Christ made a way. I'm out. Just like that for you. And that's what Peter's, he's, he's preaching. There is hope. 
And so what he does, he's going to quote in this sermon two different uh, Davidic, uh, David Psalms, right? The first one is Psalm 16, right, to prove his point. Psalm 16 was a very important messianic psalm for the Jews. They believed, uh, rightly so, as, David, as uh, Peter's about to point out, that David was uh, talking somewhat about himself. He fulfilled it, uh, sort of, but coming from his line, as we'll see, his, his descendant, someone who's even greater is going to fully fulfill it. All right, watch with me how, how he quotes it. He says, For David said concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. I love that. It means to pitch a tent in hope. God, I don't, I don't have, this is a different sermon for a different day, but man, to be able to sing, I pitch my tent in hope. But we don't have time for that. Let's keep going. He says, For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your, notice the capitalization, this is where, what Peter's trying to bring out, your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. So what he's about to point out is that David fulfilled a lot of this, but he certainly didn't fulfill that because he died. He even says, he goes, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. They could have dug up, and whatever was left, it had been a long time, so I don't know, he had decayed. And so he's saying that psalm, just like we've always said it is, it's referring to someone greater who was to come, who would fulfill that, that is Jesus, because he didn't stay dead, right? He, 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 he continues in verse 30. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants, that's one of David's descendants, on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Right? So Jesus died, but Jesus rose. Let that saturate in you. I know. I know you've heard this. Some of you heard this a million times. Hear it a million and one. It's a miracle of God that you can be saved. Never should we take that for granted. We'll start putting our attention on trait little things that have no eternal purpose if we forget what God has done for us. All right, he says, this Jesus, God, raised up, and of that we all are witness. You see, and we, we, we talk about this a lot, but the resurrection of Christ is a historic certainty. It's not a myth. Don't believe that lie. I mean, read, the, we give away the case for Christ. Read it. There's so much evidence, and it begins here, right? He says, hey, we know Jesus appeared to more than 500 people. They touched him. They ate with him. They met, like, he, during that 40 days, he was dead. We saw him die on the cross, and then he was risen. See, here's how, one of the greatest evidences is because I want you to imagine you have an enemy in life. Like, you just can't stand this person. He can't stand you, right? And he says, hey, when I die, don't worry about it. I'm coming back to life. And then he dies. And then a bunch of his friends start telling everyone, he did, he came back to life. And you're like, I'm going to show the world, that ain't true. What would you do? You'd go to his grave, creepy, but you would, and you'd dig him up, and you'd show, here he is. How could he be alive if these are his, this is his decaying body, right? Nobody did that. And Jesus had a lot of people that had a lot riding on proving it wasn't true. They didn't do it. You know why? 
because his tomb was empty. Oh, they had theories. Oh, the disciples uh, stole the body. So this Peter, who was just 50 days ago in a puddle of fear that he couldn't even own up to a little servant girl that he was with Jesus, is now boldly risking his life knowing that he's got dead Jesus in a closet somewhere. You think he'd do that? It's ridiculous. Or, or the swoon theory, as many still today propose, that he never died. He swooned. And the Roman soldiers who thought who were the most expert at killing this world has ever seen made a mistake. They killed him. They stabbed a spear into his side, and they took him down, put him in a tomb, and then he kind of woke up, rolled that huge stone out, staggered out, went to a hospital, and then he was alive. That's the theory. Because they can't produce the body. It's a historic fact. Jesus rose. You've got to figure out what that means. That's what Peter's saying. He's starting starting to get their attention here. His Jesus didn't stay dead. He fulfilled the promises from the, the Psalms. But he, he continues in verse 33. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Remember, this all began with them going, how can this be? This Holy Spirit rushing them, speaking in these foreign languages that they shouldn't be able to speak. And so Peter's saying, yeah, you saw that, but right before that, this Jesus, we saw him ascend to the right hand of the Father in glory. That's the position of power and authority. He is the Lord over everything. And so to prove that, he also quotes uh, a psalm, this time Psalm 110. He says, for David did not ascend into the heavens, right? David never did this. And yet David said, uh, said this in his psalm. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So he's saying Jesus fulfilled that. What they had, uh, if you were a king back then and you conquered another king, you would symbolically put your foot on his neck. Things, things were tough back then, all right? And, and that was symbolically saying that I am king over this king. And so if the earth is his footstool, it's saying that Jesus is king over every king. He's Lord over every Lord. He's king of kings. He's Lord of lords. He isn't just Messiah, Savior. He's Lord and king. He's got everything under his authority and control. That's what Peter's saying. And and, And he closes it this way. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. He's both Lord and Christ. He's Savior. This Jesus whom you crucified. And Why would he do that again? He already brought it up. You killed him. Now he closes it up. And by the way, you killed him. Because he wanted to elicit the response that we'll see next weekend. What do we do? What do we do? You're right. It's a beautiful place to be in is to understand you've sinned and you need a Savior. You've sinned and you need a Savior. But this sermon um, teaches us, maybe for you the first time, maybe for the millionth time, doesn't matter. You need to hear, you need to saturate in the fact that the gospel means you could be saved. You can be saved, whatever you did, how you rebelled against God. It was too often we get focused on, on theological nuances and biblical uh, theories and, and, and social issues, and those have their place. But far too often we do that and it drowns out what we need to constantly proclaim to our own souls. I can be saved because of Christ. 
No matter what I've done, I can be saved because of Christ. If you're ever bored of that, I don't know what to tell you. You've forgotten what it means that you need him so badly. It's the same message that, that Peter preached and has been proclaimed throughout the centuries of Christendom. Like I, I, if you've ever um, had the misfortune of being in my office, you not only notice how messy it is, but you maybe noticed it's kind of a little bit rough, but there's a painting. And I have that up there because one of my probably two from history preaching heroes is this man. His name's George Whitfield. And uh, he lived in the 1700s. I was in seminary reading something else, and I came about where uh, a, a, a contemporary preacher of his day said, man, if I could only said even the word O like George Whitfield. And I said, man, I got to learn more about this guy. And I read everything that I could, everything he wrote, everything, his sermons, and, 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 and it's true. This, he, 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 was in London, he was in England, he was in Scotland, eventually came to America, was part of the first great awakening. And, and churches didn't like him very much. Right, like he, he was kind of kept, uh, uh, you know, like he could preach in the church. They didn't like him because he preached with pizzazz, right? And, and the, the preachers of that day, they were very stoic, right, and very learned and high-level stuff. And he, and he was too. He was brilliant. But he just, man, he had an ability to just exhort the gospel. So he took it outside, which was a complete no-no. To us, it seems like no big deal. For the church then, it was like, you don't do that. This is meant to be in a sacred building. He went outside, right? And he, and he just preached. He didn't have a microphone. There was occasions where over 20,000 people came to hear him. And man, they, 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 they said there was people just falling to their knees because they heard the gospel. This Whitfield, he, he became really good friends with another guy maybe you've heard of named Jonathan Edwards. Edwards had a church um, right down the road in Northampton, Massachusetts, and he uh, was completely different from Whitfield. His sermons were brilliant, but they're the kind of sermons you read rather than hear. Sometimes he would even read them, right? He was very stoic, and, and his church was doing okay. All of a sudden, like he couldn't explain it, people were coming in droves. As he's preaching, they're falling to their knees, confessing their sin, and crying out for Christ. Edwards was suspicious of it. Right, he's just like, so he began to double down, like, no, i got to get even more serious because this, all this emotion, I don't know where it's coming from. And he just kept, here's the thing, he and Whitfield, they were both part of the, the Great Awakening. They, they were good friends and they were completely different. And both saw the same result of the Spirit using the gospel. They didn't let all the other stuff drown out that you can be saved. And here's the thing, I know we say, oh man, I wish we had Whitfield today. I wish we had Edwards. I wish we had, right, I wish we had Spurgeon. I wish we we don't need those guys. They're dead and gone. They're with the Lord. We don't need them because we have you. And we have you. And we have you. And we have me. You see, this is our time. It's not their time. It's our time to carry the mission. It's our time. And the, the mission, of the, the message of the mission is that you can be saved. This picture, the reason it's, it just depicts this, if you look at it, it shows purposefully all different kind of people. You got old and young, you got someone all very convicted, and you got someone sleeping. Even Whitfield had the sleepers. Right? And, and my personal favorite, the guy in the right corner, probably came from Ireland because he's my people, no question. He's got an L. Cheers! Right? 
I'm not giving you permission now. You know that, right? I don't know what you guys got in those Yetis, but I just, you know, I'm just saying. Right? But, but what this, this painting is meant to say is Whitfield didn't care. I don't care if you're religious. I don't care if you're rich. I don't care if you're poor. I don't, you're a sinner. Just like Peter said, you need to be saved, and you can be by this name, Jesus. Right? And there was in that crowd people who were never welcomed in churches and people who thought they knew all about Christianity coming to be saved. And that might be you. Right? That might be you. I can guarantee you that Edwards in his pews and Whitfield in the fields had men and women who knew more, knew more about the Bible than most of us, and they weren't saved. Jesus said there will be people who come and say, I did this, I did this, and he says, I never knew you. That's why I preach the gospel constantly to you. It will not be on my record that you didn't get invited to know the name above all names. It won't be. If you reject this, if you don't believe, it's on you. And I'm just saying, it doesn't have to be. Don't have so much pride. Well, I grew up in a Christian family. I don't care. I went to church all my life. I don't care. I, I, I read my Bible. I, I memorized the order of the books in the Bible. You know what? I can't even remember that. Who cares? What I care about is are you saved? Is there fruit? There is dryness. That's why I started that way. There's going to be dryness in your life, but is there a motivation for you to love Jesus? Is there a motivation for you to worship God? Is there a yearning? Even if you fail at it, you're like, oh, I had a bad day. That's not the point, but there's fruit there. Like I was just reading about a very prominent pastor, huge church, and he was, his church was on a retreat near a beach. And that evening, a woman came, a wife of one of his key top leaders, knocked on the door, and he answered. He's like, oh, what's the matter? And she's like, she said, Pastor, my, my husband has been walking the beach all day in agony, not physical agony, wringing his hands up and down, up and down for hours. Just a little while ago, he fell to his knees and he confessed his sin and trusted Christ. A key leader in this church wasn't saved, and he knew it. So all I'm saying is if, if, if you're tricking even yourself, don't do it. Right? God invites you in. He doesn't regret saving you. This message is what, is what we bank everything on. Yeah, I want you to have an awesome marriage. You're not going to do it without knowing Christ. I want you to be an awesome parent. It's exuding the gospel that's able you to do that. Right? Don't start with the do's. Start with the, what he's done, and then you'll get to the do's. Right? And so, so we, we proclaim that. And so whether you've heard it a million times and for the first time it's registering, or, man, this is just a reminder, or this is the first time you've heard it, you can be saved. You can this morning. And so I, 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 I just want us to leave with one more point from this sermon. And every one of us, I, am, I promise you, I said this at the nine, and I promise you, I think I need to hear this more than any of you. I'm just glad I got to hear it three times this weekend, right? <laughs> From my own lips. It's the gospel means you can breathe and let go. Because last I checked, you're not at the right hand of God, are you? And, and, and we would never say that, but we try to act our lives like, like that. Controlling results, trying to control people, right? Like you can't even find your car keys half the time. Right, what do I always say? You walk into a room, how many times a week and go, why did I come in here? And you're gonna be the Lord? You're gonna be in control? You want that? No, you don't. You don't want me in control. Jesus is the king of kings and got his feet on the footstool. And so that means we can let go. I'm not saying don't work hard. He wants us to, don't be a sluggard, right? 
A lot in the Proverbs about that. Work hard. Do your best. Do what God's calling you to do. Let go of the results. That's why you're in agony and stressed and can't sleep because you're like trying to control what you cannot control. He's at the right hand. He's in authority. You're clinging. It's like, um, I don't know, if, you, if you're not my age, maybe you never saw this. You go into the parks today, and these kids have, like, palaces they play in. I don't know who built these things. But back in the day, you guys remember the merry-go-round? Oh, yeah. It's like a wooden slab circle. It had rusty bolts that you cut yourself and probably get some kind of disease if you did, right? It was they always built them in the full sun. You notice that? And so the, the, the bars were 190 degrees in the summer. And so you, you, you had to hold on to these things, and someone, I don't know who, would always be some moron, would think, let's try to get this thing to fly off its axis. We're going to go warp speed for you Star Trek fans, right? And you're clinging into this 190-degree bar that's burning your arms, but you don't want to fly off, and you're holding, and you're going, and you're going. And I'm just saying, that's often what we're trying to do to the future and the results of our life, and we need to let go. And it does mean there's going to be times where you get some bumps and bruises. But the promise is that Jesus said, hey, if, if, if God took the worst crime ever and turned it into the greatest event ever, the cross, what do you think he's going to do with your stuff? What do you think he's going to do? He's going to turn your sadness to joy. He's going to turn your brokenness to healing. He's going to use that, that dryness in your life for his glory and for his purpose in your life. You just have to trust him with it. And I could right now give you some amazing thing where someone trusted in the most deepest, darkest place in their life. Problem is, most of you wouldn't even relate to it. Some of you would. But instead, let me, let me bring you back to a place you don't want to be, I promise. March 2020. Ugh, the horror, right? Well, this was, uh, we were, uh, my, my son Nathan was uh, uh, in grade 11 at the time, so he was working towards getting his license. And so he had, he had to just get, fill out his uh, driving hours. And we had him all scheduled for his break. He had a week off in March. And we were ready to go. It was all scheduled. And lockdown, three months, nothing. And by the time, you know, nothing we could do. Again, results. We couldn't do anything about it. Tried our best. Lockdown, we get out. Everything's backlogged. Even to get an appointment, it took months. And then when he finally finished all of that to get his license exam, right, to the driving test, that took months. Finally, December of 2020, nine months later, Heather brought him to his license exam. I was here, I had some meetings, whatever. And so I was like, Heather called. Um, and I was like, oh, how did it go? Did he pass? And she was like, let me tell you what happened. I was like, uh-oh. Apparently, Heather which can happen, she parked in the wrong spot. So immediately, this person begins to scream at Heather, at Nathan, at some other kid wasn't part of our family. I don't know that poor kid, right? Just screaming at everyone. And, and, and so Heather's all jittery, and Nathan was trying to put on a good face, but can you imagine? This is the, one of the most nerve-wracking times of your life, and now this person's yelling at you, and then they found out he's the guy who's going to be bringing him on the road. So you can imagine. So Nathan goes on, and Nathan's like, I think I did everything right. Comes back, and apparently the guy goes, you failed. Why? He's like, well, you did everything right, but you left out of the entrance and not the exit. He didn't realize it was one way. He's like, See, let me, you failed me right away. didn't even tell me, right? And so Heather's like telling me, like, we've got to call someone and this person, you know. And I'm like, I, I know, right? So, so then she gets home. A couple hours later, she gets a call. Heather had tested. She's a nurse at the hospital. She had tested positive for COVID. So she tells me, you've got to come home. 
right? And I'm thinking, what am I, because this was back, you didn't just quarantine for two days like now, right? This is the full two weeks, baby, right? In, uh, you know, isolation at home. And I'm like thinking, am I going to get out for Christmas? It was December. And, and so we all come home. Also, she's like, we got to pick up Grace, who had spent, my daughter Grace was a freshman, she had spent hours hours and hours working on a drama performance that was going to be put online only, and that night they were going to film it, and we had to pull her. Someone else had to do it. So we're st- I still remember standing in our kitchen like this. Failed the driving exam, COVID, can't be in the play. I don't know what happened to me, probably something bad. I can't remember now. And I remember, and I remember saying, wow, this has been a banner day in the Walton household. Hasn't it? This has been great. But I bring that up to you because we tried our best. We couldn't control any of those results. In fact, I kept trying. We finally got Nathan another exam three months later because he's been getting a backlog. And this time I brought him. We parked in the right spot. Same guy, right? I don't think he saw me, but I got out of the car and I gave him this look, the dad look. (laughs) Ain't going to go down like last time, brother. Wasn't very Christian to me, the things I was thinking, but I wanted to, right? This isn't, isn't going to happen. You scream my wife. Well, it's not going to happen, right? And, and so then he gets in the car and they're driving. And I thought to myself, what else can I control? And I actually, I'm not, I'm not, I'm actually pretty proud of this actually. Um, I, I, I walked over to the entrance where Nathan just couldn't drive out again. And I stood there like this. <laughs> if Nathan was going to drive out the wrong way, he was going to have to run me down. And it, and it was actually in question that he might run me down, but... I was willing, right? So he went out the right way, and he passed. The thing is, after he left, I had no control. I just prayed, please, God, let him pass with this maniac instructor. No, you know? And then prayed a prayer of repentance and, you know, those things you have to do as well, right? But I bring that up to you because that's real life, right? You work hard, you think you got it, and then you don't. Or something else happens, and you get furious or you get upset and emotional, and that's all part of it. Like, you're going to go through the bumps and bruises. You're going to go through loneliness. You're going to go through heartbreak. You're going to go through sadness. You're going to go through, it's a broken world. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, trust the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's got it. He's going to take the failed exam. He's going to take the not be able to be in that play you work for. He's going to take that COVID test. He's going to take all of it and work it for good. And it can't always see it. We might not see it this side of heaven, but we will. Let it go, right? Let it go. And I'm not going to start singing the Frozen song, I promise. That's the right movie, right? Frozen? Okay. Right, let it go. I, I, parents, we got to let it go. And Timmy, he was here Saturday or last night, and I was saying this, and then he was actually holding Cadence's baby. I was like, except for you, Timmy, don't let your baby go. I don't mean that, right? But we got to let it, we cannot be God of our kids. We cannot be got to let them have it. We work hard. We raise them best we can. We pray uh, the daylights out of them, and we got to let it go. You will be so much more able to breathe in life if you realize, I'm not in control of this world. I do what God's called me to do. I share Christ with that person. I do that ministry. I do, I, you know, I, I do my best as a parent. I do my best in my marriage, and then I got to let it go. I got to trust that Jesus has this. He's on the throne, not me. He's on the throne and not me. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He didn't just save me, but he keeps me, he sustains me, and he will always do so throughout eternity. That's the gospel. I want you to saturate yourself in that every day. Wake up tomorrow morning, Jesus has it. Amen?
Let's pray. Lord, I, I, I am compelled to just pray in the name of the Lord Jesus for my brothers and sisters in Christ in this room who have these things they just need to let go. They're weary because of, of, of it. You know what it is. Lord, I pray that even now they can breathe and they can know you're in it, you have it, you control over all of it, even when they can't see it. Even when life seems like that merry-go-round, you have it, you have us. You're our shepherd and we shall not want. Remind us of that, not just here in church, but God, remind us of that every day. I am praying that for myself as much as anyone. Lord, those of us who just, we love to achieve and we love to succeed and you've made us that way, but Lord, let us not choke the life out of what you're doing in the midst of the mess around us. Give us that hope, Lord, that we would pitch our tents in hope. Father, I pray for those who come in here today and they're not saved. And you know they're not. I pray that you would reveal to them that they would know they're not. That this would be the day they would just repent and believe. Say, I don't want it anymore. I want Jesus to have it. Jesus to save me. Lord, if it's a sin that they just thought could never be paid for, they'd realize there's nothing that outsends your grace. You'd reveal that to them. That's your spirit, I pray. That someone would be saved this morning because of you, Lord Jesus. And we could celebrate that with them for all of eternity. We give this all to you. May you receive the glory and praise of our song, of our prayers, of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.